Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Welcome, you football-loving mother truckers, to Defending in Numbers, the podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong. I'm a pretender, but I'm joined by two very real and very knowledgeable men. First of all, in the red corner, weighing in at... Well, he's given me a dodgy look, so I'm not going to reveal the truth. But the anchor man cometh on his second appearance, Carl Anker. How are you, Carl? I'm good. Hello, true believers. Let's talk football and stuff. <laughs> he wants to talk football, but he needs a third man. And there's a third man in every great trio, because otherwise, by default, it wouldn't be a trio. And today, it's James Benj. Is this your first appearance? It is. Uh I don't know. I'm always at this. I'm always hanging around the Squawker office, waiting for someone to record my voice. Um, but yeah, it's good to be here. I'm it, rocking the pink corner. It's our first time in this sweaty room together. Early, early doors. I feel great. I feel yeah. raring to go. I was not up until silly hours watching basketball. No sorry. Nope, we were both doing that. <laughs> not together. Well, I was up late dreaming of football. I was dreaming of three points this weekend for West Ham, which. And of course, our listeners are listening out there on Deezer, on iTunes, any of the places where you can get your podcast. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to make Carl incredibly rich. Please, I need the money. <laughs> I need to buy the new FIFA game. It's so expensive on Amazon. Why? <laughs> His favourite number this week is not FIFA 18. Talking of numbers, let's go to Week by Numbers. The week by numbers. And the number 90, our first number this week, which is Watford scoring their 90th minute winners in three consecutive games. Sorry, not winners, but decisive goals in three consecutive games. First team to do so in Premier League history, which is seems pretty mad to me that there's never been a team that's gone on a run of clutch goals. But there we go. The Hornets. That's what they're all about. Uh, Arsenal, though, just kind of... <laughs> Melted, didn't they? Just kind of let them have it, really. They, they did their Arsenal. I, I turned this game on in the 70th minute and Arsenal were 1-0 up and you just thought, yeah, it'll be kind of a bit boring, but they'll probably be fine. Um, and then they just kind of concertina down almost like a season of Arsenal into 20 minutes. Mesa Ozil missed. I kind of think sometimes people are a bit people are a bit harsh on that. It's not a kind of guaranteed goal-scoring chance. I don't know what the XG on it is, but it's not as high as I would think people would assume. Gomez is a good keeper. Um, and then they, uh, but then Arsenal just Arsenal at the back. Um, like, you know, it's, it's everything. It's a lack of leadership. Per Mertzaka is that leader, but he hasn't played in, like, he hadn't started a game in 18 months. Um, and then so naive, so, so easy to kind of get at. Troy Deeney, you know, we've all heard his comments spot on. Amazing, amazing comments. It was Really refreshing and candid to see a player go, yeah, I'm going to play Arsenal. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to whack you. And if you like don't want it, I know I'm going to have a happy day. Yeah, he really laid into Mertesacker as well. Didn't <laughs> yeah. He said, the first, first person I go for, Mertesacker, I thought I'm going to have to win this fight. And then he didn't have a fight at all. He just let him have it. I mean, I feel bad for, I feel bad for ragged on Mertesacker because he's really... He's really old, but both in <laughs> I, I, he's old in the in the physical sense and in the footballing sense. He's got a lot of miles on the clock. He's very, very large. Um, like he shouldn't really be playing football at the top level anymore. Like his body can't really cope. He's only thirty two, though, isn't he? He's 
33. He's 33, but he's, you know, he's got a lot of miles on the clock because yeah. he's been around mm. for a while. It's sort of how like Podolski's secretly 35 in footballing years because he's been around <laughs> since the days of Provo 4. But it's 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 not really Permatasaka's fault that he is in a position to start for Arsenal. It's Wenger's fault for not having a centre-back. I, I think there's things that, that players like Mertesacker bring um, that actually almost Arsenal really, Arsenal miss his character. And I think if you kind of go back to the FA Cup final, he was the best player on the pitch by miles. Um, but the, the issue is you can't have like kind of one person uh, uh, well you can have a sort of inspirational captain who who can make a real difference to a team but when the rest of the, the team is so timid and going back to those Deeney comments if he'd said that about Man United if he said that about Chelsea I mean he wouldn't in the first place but the next time Watford faced um, either of those teams I'd be wearing shin pads made out of yeah. pure steel yeah. Yeah. if I was Deeney like what are Arsenal ever going to do to him Permatsaka comes out the next day and goes oh I didn't really listen to what Troy Deeney said why are you not listening to that it's embarrassing why That's- are you a club needing an inspirational captain to get you through a game against Watford mm. now look I think Marco Silva's fantastic uh, every time he wins a game I laugh at Paul Merson uh, I think he's probably I love bringing in this term when I'm using it doesn't belong I think he's pound for pound one of the best uh, <laughs> one of the better managers in the Premier League but Watford are not going to be challenging for the top six or they're going to if they have a good season they'll be eighth you should not need an inspirational captain to get you past the game against Watford Tom Cleverley should not be the dynamic man to get you like to, to like look like Iniesta carving you up despite how much cleverly thinks he is uh, there was a small clip going during the rounds um, on Arsenal Twitter of the Tom Cleverley goal and the caption was simply look at Xhaka yeah picking his nose yeah he's statuesque he's not moving he he takes a step the moment like just after Cleverley takes the shot Xhaka is what 35 million he was 35 million at a time when 35 million was a lot of money yeah. and we still don't know if he's box to box or if he's a defend like the defending guy what what is the point of uh granite jacker in this arsenal system i think i was on here previously with a podcast and uh i was talking to one arsenal fan and he said he's sort of the steady eddie in a midfield mm. i'm like you you don't spend 35 million on a steady, steady eddie no exactly you that's a, that's a Mark Noble, really, isn't it? Yeah. A steady elite. A Tom Cleverley is a steady Eddie. Yeah. And you don't have one of them if you think you're the elite. You have to compare yourself to sort of Man City against Watford, Oof. right? No, but I mean, if you're if you're wanting to be one of the teams in the Champions League qualification places, if you want to say that you're one of the best best teams in the league, you have to compare yourself to the other ones. And if City can go there and win 6-0, I know they're sort of on a bit of a different planet. Mm-hmm. But losing 2-1, have a look, have a word. But we do this every other, we do this every month, don't mm. we? It's our oh, Arsenal. Here are all the myriad problems of Arsenal. It's not going to fi- get fixed. I still can't believe Arsene Wenger has a two-year contract. I, I, I think the, the reality is that Arsene Wenger two-year contract comes down to the sort of fear of anyone at that club about what would really happen if they tried to mix things up. It's why Carlo Ancelotti is going to be the perfect Arsene Wenger successor because he doesn't do anything. <laughs> and, and this club, you know, it just exists to continue existing and to continue making money. I mean, it was before the Bate Borisov game, the, they released their, their results and you kind of got the sense they were more interested in their annual turnover of £400 million than they were about kind of doing anything in any of the, the competitions. They, look, they're just a team that's going to exist around the top six in the Premier League kind of until the end of time. They're almost not, they're not going to win another Premier League for a generation. Despite the fact I actually believe so many of their players, including Granit Xhaka, are capable of winning the Premier League. 
When Xhaka has his good games, he is he's outstanding, but you have to come up with a like energetic partner to play alongside him. Arsenal, Arsenal aren't putting the team together correctly and they're never going to win the league. And they've got a manager that can't get the best out of their players. So they're going to finish around sixth until the end of time, <laughs> which was meant to happen in 2012, I believe, which conveniently is the next number. Was it 2012? That was when the world was yeah. meant to end, wasn't it? They even made a film of it. It was fantastic. No, it was not. <laughs> uh, 2012 was the last time a player scored a hat-trick in the Milan derby before Mauro Icardi this weekend. Uh, Inter Milan obviously coming out 3-2 winner there. Diego Milito was the last, uh, last player to do it, another Inter Milan player. Mauro Icardi, though, is... A controversial player at times. Hasn't had the best relationship with the Inter fans, but is something like this enough to prove to them that, you know, he's the world-class player that he wants to be, that people kind of tout him as in the media, or is are they still going to have a bit of a fractious relationship? I, th- I think it all is forgiven. Um, obviously, those comments a-, a year ago, I think it was, in that book were not um, particularly intelligent comments to make about a very passionate fan base, but ultimately... If you're a team that's kind of been as average as Inter are for a long time, Maracardi is your kind of only hope. I mean, they're only three points off the title and he is absolutely brilliant. I kind of think once we kind of get past the Lewandowski-Suarez era that we're in now, the two best stri- number nines in the world, pure strikers, are going to be Harry Kane and Maracardi. He's that good. His sec- the finish for his second goal where he kind of, the ball loops a little bit behind him and he somehow swings his right foot yeah. with a brilliant volley. It's next level. He is absolutely, he's absolutely brilliant. The challenge is he's in such a bad team that we kind of never get to see him do it at the highest level. But I think, I think he's along with Kane. He's one of the next best number nine. It's only twenty four or twenty five, isn't he, Cole? He's a young lad, um, and he's got that swagger and confidence that you need in number nine. You, uh, I think, to to carry on from your point, James, about um, Harry Kane and. and like what you need to be a pure number nine. I think Harry Kane believes in the gambler's fallacy. So Kane has a, if apparently Kane goes in, he has a shot. And if the keeper says he goes, that's not a problem. It means I'm more likely to score the next time. Absolute nonsense. That's not how football works at all. But it, that's the lie Harry Kane tells himself to G himself up for a game. And that's the sort of weird mentality you need from a striker to do stuff. And I think, you know, that comes through when Akadi's doing all these sorts of weird flicks and tricks that shouldn't come off for strikers. And I think... If you look a couple of seasons ago when Vardy was on that scoring run and he was doing Galazzo's for fun, like the the ability that confidence can cut, like what confidence can do to a striker and what happens when you have a young striker who's gone, oh, I can get away with this now. Amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. Just don't let him near your wife. No. Uh, <laughs> AC Milan, right? They've spent a fortune. What's happening there? Why, why are they still struggling this year? Other Italian teams are quite good, would be a starting point. Um, and it, it, it always happens, doesn't it? When you spend loads of money, you just can't put together a, a, a team that kind of quite clicks and gels. I don't really know what their strongest eleven is. They're still putting Fabio Barini on the pitch as well. So yeah, maybe... Proven class. Maybe this Never is their failed. level. Well, if you've got Barini in your team, you're doing well not to get relegated. We, you know, I'm not sure if we can call this doing a Spurs anymore because doing Spurs are now good. But in terms of, oh, we've got loads of money, let's go buy 10 players at once. So Spurs did it after Bell, didn't work so well. Liverpool did it after Suarez, didn't work so well. Everton now done it after selling Lukaku, it's not working so well. AC Milan are doing it, it's not working so well. Trying to bed in five or six players in one transfer window 
it's not football manager. It's not FIFA. These guys need to learn. You know, these guys come from disparate football cultures. Not all of them speak the same language. Um, some players come from defensive systems. Come, some players come from attacking systems. And also, the manager's not very good. Uh, I, I don't know why I've put on a question in tone. Their manager's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you're AC Milan, go get Ancelotti back. He's free. You'll you'll not you'll won't fix Is it. Mon- Mon- Montella. Yeah, Vincent Montella, yeah. Uh, who was you know a football manager hero in the early 2000s and a former Roma man. But he's not he's not a particularly great manager. Um, AC Milan at the start of the season, they said they'd be lucky to finish in the Champions League places. I'm sticking with that. I think if you're a, if you're an Italian football fan, please start praying that Napoli win Serie A. Um, but I think it's going to be. Napoli, Juve, and then possibly Roma in your top three come the end of the season. Right then, Carl. Next number is zero, and I'm coming to you. Justify the parking of the bus, because Manchester United made zero chances in the second half against Liverpool. Was it negative? Too negative? Was it getting a good result? Come on, justify it. I can't. It's too negative. It's too negative. (laughs) Okay, forget it. End the podcast. it's, It's... Look, we all know how Jose approaches big games now. We all know his seven tenths and his like philosophy. So in a big game, the the team that makes the the most mistakes loses. And you make mistakes more if you have the ball. So therefore, if I if I don't have the ball, fine. So this was the thing he brought forward at Real Madrid. This is the thing that got him at Real Madrid. Um, we know he likes to spoil and he likes to contain. Um, the problem is that Liverpool team was there for the taking, mm. in my opinion. Mm. Like in the in the weeks lead up. You know, we know they're poor in set pieces. We know they're vulnerable at the back. Yes, they have a very electric front three, but Mane's currently out. Lalana's currently out. Their midfield, with you know, their midfield options are limited now because you have to play Coutinho in the final three. So you've got Emery Chan, Giorgio Wijnaldum, and Jordan Henderson. That's not a very pacey middle three, and you've got, you know, within Manchester United, you have some personnel that can really damage that side. Uh, and he went. He went to Anfield. He applied the handbrake, and I was like, "Oh, well, fine." Like it was. It was. It was acceptable last season because we didn't have the personnel. We didn't really have the personnel to to do stuff. And yes, Pogba's not round, but come on, man, give me something, Jose. It's it's anti football. It's anti football. He. You know, it, 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 I, I don't necessarily believe that it's even particularly difficult to set up. As he, he's admitted, the easiest thing in the world is to set up a team to draw nil-nil. Like, just show a bit of ambition. I, I, I know that, you know, club identity means nothing in 2017, except as a way of selling noodles in yeah. far, the Far East. But like, you're Manchester United. You have these phenomenal wingers. Like, give it a go. It's... I mean, I, if I was a Man United fan, I would be fuming at Jose Mourinho because he's just, he spoils all the games you look forward to. I, I, as a non-Man United fan, I don't even turn on their big games on TV because I'm just like, I'd rather, literally I'd rather watch paint dry than I was, watch Man United. <laughs> uh, Louis van Gaal was there at Anfield covering the game for Dutch television and van Gaal did not lose against Liverpool in his time at, in the league, in the league at least, as Manchester United manager. And you, you know, halfway through the second half, you're going... Van Gaal would have done something. He would have rotated the fullbacks or, or like played Ashley Young as a false nine. He would have done something. Mm. Um, I think what's particularly important is the way the league's looking uh, and the way Manchester City are playing. It's looking like whoever will win the league this year will be on track to get 90 points plus. And if Mourinho does this 
approach to all of the big games where he looks to spoil and get a point, he's not going to get that 90 points. He's not going to get the necessary points that we need to get to win the league. You know, people talk about this mini league of the top six teams are playing against each other. If Jose does his thing, like, I'm just going to get a point in all these games and try and destroy all the others. Like, if you draw three games against top six teams, yeah, you get three points. If you lose two games and win two in the other six points against playing the other top six, you get six. Come on. Like, dare yeah. to dream. You can't just rely on it's, hammering it's, West Ham 4-0. Sorry, mate. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's quite a lot of teams to consider as big teams as well. Now. That's yeah. five other teams. That's, you know, if, you, if, if you're one of the top six, it's five other teams. It's the same as any club in the league. Can't just say, well, we'll settle for whatever we can against the top six. Top two, yeah, okay, maybe you take what you can against the top, but top six, yeah, it's more in the quarter of the league. It's more, it's ridiculous. You can't just sort of settle against that higher portion of the league. That's ten games. That's ten games you're looking to yeah. draw. I can't wait till he tries against Man City and gets absolutely stonked. Like it, it, he 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 did it at Real Madrid against that Barcelona team, and maybe sometimes it paid off, but sometimes he got battered. We know he can do better. Or to bring up, you know, he's going to bring up, as Jose does, is want to do. You're going to criticise him for taking a defensive approach and he will most likely now bring up, well, you know, I beat Chelsea 2-0 last season. And you're like, yeah, because you played a counter-attacking game with a pacey striker and you were doing loads of through balls. Do that. Be more ambitious, please. He's recently been in the press talking about how uh, he might leave Manchester United or he doesn't see his career ending at Manchester United unless Manchester United is... unless his remuneration matches his uh, achievements at Manchester United. Jose Mourinho gets 15 million a year and he wants more money for taking Manchester United to sixth in the league and winning the Europa League after spending 300 million. As a contrast, Mario Pochettino gets just over 5 million a year and he's taking Spurs, the incredibly Spursy Spurs, to a very well-drilled one-all draw against Real Madrid. Jose's talking guff, mate. Got that? He got that sort of two bob treble though. What was it? League Cup, Community Shield, and Europa League. The bronze, the bronze treble. Oh. <laughs> I'd do anything for one of them. Uh, next number forty-one. That's the number of home league games Juventus and Borussia Dortmund had both won in a row before losing to Lazio and RB Leipzig. Rasenball Sport, Leipzig, Leipzig, respectively. Uh, so Juventus certainly. It looks like the unbeatable Juventus may be starting to shake a little bit this year. Borussia Dortmund, obviously, it's a, a bit of a different situation. They've certainly not been dominant in the league for a while, not since they won it back with Klopp. But Juventus especially, does it look like they might uh, be sort of waning a little bit now? Yeah, I think it, it's strange, isn't it? Because every year they lost like one of their best players, Pogba, Tevez, Pirlo, Vidal... All of them, all of those players went and Juventus kept getting better, but Bonucci's out the door now and there's just no one you can replace, you can find to replace Bonucci, except John Stones, maybe. Um, <laughs> and, it's, you know, without that, you know, they're, they're just a bit more, a little bit more cumbersome, a little bit more, ugh. they just kind of exist a bit more. I mean, they've still got probably, you know, one of the best forwards in the world in Dybala. And if, you know, if he'd scored that penalty, things look so different. Um, but, yeah, it's just without without that one player who can start their attacks, it's a completely different team. It'd be like if you took David Luiz out of Chelsea. You know, there's mm. just it's all a bit meh without Bonucci, and I think the fact that Napoli are 
playing this kind of, you know, Sarri ball, you know, explosive, brilliant football. I don't think that Juventus are really going to struggle to, to keep up because you've also got teams like Inter, Roma. I know we said that Milan are a bit rubbish, but, you know, if they can get things together, potential. there's a lot of teams that can knock points off Juve. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're seeing a really exciting changing of the guard in Italy. Don't know about Germany. Yeah, what do you reckon, Carl? Have you seen... Because I think they were missing Pjanic as well, weren't mm-hmm. they, the other day? And how much does he make things tick? Are they missing him? Is it a case of wrong players missing? But Michi hasn't been setting the world alight at Milan by any accounts, has he? I mean, it, it's a case of the, the personnel they've got to replace some of these big players. So when, when they lost Pogba, they got Pjanic. Pjanic did an able job last season. Uh, they've lost Benucci. That's a big loss. They also lost uh, your man who now plays for PSG and is Neymar's best friend. Danny uh, Alves. Yeah. Danny Alves. Uh, and that dramatically limits how well they can play in wide positions. So that you know, it's strange to think that the 32-year-old Dani Alves gives your team a pacey outlet, but they did. Uh, Higuain's gone off the boil a bit as well. I think that's very important um, because very much the plan for Juve for the last couple of seasons is we will, we're going to go all in, try and win stuff now, and we'll deal with the repercussions a bit later on. And they've gotten a state a bit similar to uh, Pellegrini and Pellegrini's Manchester City where you've got a lot of old ageing internationals that you bought so you can win trophies now and now they're all approaching 29 to 32 and they're going oh no the win now phase has ended and we've got to start a new cycle um, I mean Juve they're a big enough brand I love their brand new kit I love their brand new badge they're going to start <laughs> selling more tickets around the world so they're going to be there or thereabouts in the next couple of years I don't think this is a crisis I will say if you are a football you know air quotes footballing hipster try and buy tickets for Napoli's last game of the season because if Napoli do it you're going to want to be there because Mm. if you look at a bit of homework for you football fans go get your smartphone out look up images of when Napoli last won Serie A and there's a fantastic photograph of Maradona giving it large you're going to want to see that in person. Reckon they'll wheel him out again. Yeah, oh yeah. He'll be oh, there. He'll okay. be there texting, talk, calling Pele such and such and whatnot. <laughs> I was in Naples at the weekend, actually. It's just mental. Go, <laughs> go there. Go there. Like, strange city, but like the most football mad city. A lot of stray dogs. Lot, lot of, of stray dogs. Go there. A lot of fun. Stay safe. <laughs> yeah, get your rabies shots from the street. <laughs> Keep yourself safe from those stray dogs. Quick word on um, Dortmund as well. So they lost to RB Leipzig. I would like to, of course, won in the Champions League on Tuesday. Uh, Dortmund drew to Apoel, mm. no, which is not the not the best of results for them. You really want to be beating them both times in the group if you want to achieve anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does it look like Leipzig is now the team that might be the the challenger, so to speak? I think Leipzig are going to be the, the third team. Um, so what you've got now is you've got. I mean, Bayern went off the ball because of Ancelotti's, you know, deck chair style approach to coaching. They've got Juk back. That Bayern will be back very soon. I wouldn't be surprised if Bayern will be on top come Christmas because, like, Daniel Alaba, Jerome Boateng, and Thomas Muller are suddenly going to rediscover how to play football again. Um, Dortmund's draw says a lot. Well, has a lot to do with Apoel's great defending. Uh, I think I re- uh, something very interesting is Dortmund are already already have a seventeen percent chance of winning the Europa League baseline like, like if you pull them out 17% yeah. chance of winning Europa League so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Bots goes eh fine like we'll finish third and we'll go in, all in the Europa League and we'll probably beat Arsenal in the final um, which is cool um, Bundesliga is going to get reasonably interesting I think Red Bull's performance against Porto 
uh, on Tuesday night was, was some of the goals they worked. You know, they they went through they went three one up very very quickly, and their second and third goals were really just like well drilled, really really high press, great through ball, and you're going all right. These boys can play, um, but. I think the squad's too thin. Naby Keita, of course, going to Liverpool either in January if Liverpool get scared or next season. So uh, I think it's a bit too soon for, to say Re- uh, Red Bull going to win the Bundesliga. Yeah. Uh, do you reckon, uh, James, that they're sort of, they've got a lot of young players and they've got a really good youth policy, but it might put them in danger of, obviously Dortmund actually had the same problem, didn't they? They're basically, their best player gets nicked by Bayern every year. Uh a Red Bull just going to get... Well, I mean, they do have the advantage that they've got like Red Bull money behind them. You know, <laughs> having the world's biggest energy drink behind you does, I guess, help you stave off your rivals. But it gives you wings, apparently. It, it, yeah. it does. But I'm not sure, you know, continuing that metaphor, I'm not sure they're kind of really ready to fly on to the next level yet because um, someone will go for Emil Forsberg as well in the summer. And like, I, th- I think I get the feeling they're going to be a team that does their best to fight these things off, but... You know, when it's, let's say, whether it's Man City, Man United, Arsenal, whoever goes for Forsberg is going to be willing to pay a lot of money. And that's the thing, they're just going to have to start again. And as Dortmund have shown that, it wears you down, like Mm. constantly having to buy new players and rebuild your squad, no matter how good your front office is at at reinvigorating your roster. It just, it'll, it'll get too much. Okay, now I've got a number for you here. A nice little bit of stat info stuff. It's the number 2.5. It's not that interesting a number. But it's the rate of goals per game Man City need to score from now until the end of the season to break the record for most goals in a season. Now, considering the fact that they are definitely going to win another game 7-something or 8-something, do you reckon they can do it? Because they put 7 past Stoke, who are meant to be hard to score against, but I'm not sure how much that sort of myth has been true in the last few years but Stoke weren't bad it's just Manchester City are transcendent um, Jonathan Liu now Chief Football Writer for The Independent wrote a fantastic write-up of uh, the pass Kevin De Bruyne played to Leroy Sane before the Sterling goal uh, where Sane is run down the byline he's passed it back to De Bruyne De Bruyne's turned there is no way De Bruyne can see Sane's made the run back to the byline De Bruyne's chipped the ball back to Sane Sane's just like passed it back to Sterling and you're going Kevin De Bruyne is maybe top 0.001% of footballers uh, and what's even more terrifying is De Bruyne did a similar move against Napoli on Tuesday night like De Bruyne can do this he he must have eyes in the back of his head um, I, I love to see seeing you try and demonstrate that while sat in a corner of a room <laughs> there's a lot of like I don't, know if you can, um, I don't know if you can hear the sort of shuffling pulling motions I'm doing right now I mean the, the thing about Manchester City now is you've got uh, if Sergio Aguero doesn't get you Gabriel Jesus will get you if those two won't get you Sane or Sterling will get you if those two won't get you then David Silva will get you if David Silva won't get you then Kevin De Bruyne will get you and if those two won't get you Carl Walker will whip across it and if that doesn't get you apparently John Stones can score goals now <laughs> I, I, just, I just think we're probably uh, I mean you, you hate to kind of engage in this hyperbole because you just part of you just wants to sit back and enjoy this amazing football team. But I think this may well end up being the greatest team we've seen in Premier League history. Ready? I mean, I, th- I just think all they need to do is carry on at this level. And I know blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they were like this at the start of last season and, and fell apart. But oh, I was about to make that point. I'm glad you would have met it with blah, blah, blah. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, but God, they're just it's transcendent. It's 
just a joy to watch them. Like, you know, I, I, dear Sky Sports and BT Sports, I don't care about the sanctity of three o'clock kickoffs. Put them on TV every week. They are amazing. Even Fabian Delph is good now. Yeah. Uh, I threw him in my fantasy league. No one saw it coming. Uh, something I find amazing uh, is, you know, people were saying, oh, why, why doesn't Delph leave Man City? And he's like, no, I'm getting coaching. I'm getting coached for the first time in years. I'm, I'm getting intensive drills. If you look at some of the moves City are pulling together, you can, if you watch them enough, you can see they've got four or five passing drills that they do for like repeatedly on the pitch. You go, oh, they're doing like Omega three or Epsilon four. Like clearly they look at each other. We're going to do this passing move right now. You stand there, you stand there, you stand there. And you're going, oh man, this is, this is going to get a shot on goal. Um, Christ, they're good. You can only, you know, as a United fan, look, I know I shouldn't wish injuries upon someone, but the only thing that looks like will stop Man City is probably an injury. Or Or 11. Yeah. Or you get that weird problem where you reveal too many of your weapons too early. So come the tail end of the season, you've got a manager like Poch going, okay, I've seen like your plan A, your plan B, your plan C. I can now negate all of them. But then you've got Pep who can go, all right, I'll just spend the whole week turning Gundagund into the greatest false nine you've ever seen in your life. Basically, Man United's hope is a lot of rogue taxi drivers. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, (laughs) Rest up, Aguero, rest up. I think he's all right. He's back on the bench now. He was, he was. Right, let's move on then to Embarrassed to Ask. I'm embarrassed to ask. Right then, I don't want to look like too much of an ignorant England fan who believes that we deserve to be considered as the best team in the world all the time just on account of we've got Three Lions, which is a really good song. But World in Motion's better. World in Motion is, is better. The John Barnes rap. To to use a to use a word that we've already been using transcendent <laughs> transcendent rapping from John Barnes, but why aren't England in pot one? Because we won our group by a mile, so surely that should put us at least in some kind of advantageous position when it comes to the pots. But now we might end up in a group with Brazil or someone like that that's definitely going to beat us because <laughs> uh, we're so rubbish at um, organising a football team uh, that we managed to constantly ruin our FIFA world ranking. And yeah, the FIFA world rankings are all nonsense, except for the fact that FIFA then used them to decide the pots. And we are now going to end up in a group with like Brazil, Mexico and Australia and we're going to get no points and we'll last about five days because we keep playing these friendly. We're like, oh, you know what would be really good for Deli Alley, a prestige friendly? And then we get tonked 2-0, played off the pitch by France, Germany and all that lot. And FIFA go, yeah, you know, this is going to knock off your international ranking. We've only just moved above Wales who had this incredibly smart tactic of let's not play friendlies friendlies. ever and let's definitely not play them against teams we're going to lose to and destroy our own our own world ranking like I do see a logic in you know building some sort of match readiness and familiarising Eric Dyer with what it's going to be like when Neymar runs at him (laughs) but if you're going to lose all these games you've got to like you've got to realise it's going to absolutely destroy your chances of getting in pot one and I remember you know 2006 and all that lot and 2010 as well we got such easy groups because we we are in pot one I mean we might have managed to screw them up but we had easy groups Um, why are England pot two because England are a second tier footballing nation is is the blunt like we let's let's put a cold put away truth. yeah let's let's get rid of the, all the pomp and circumstance all right Euro 2016 we get knocked out in the round of 16, 16 against Iceland 
uh, World Cup 2004, we don't get out of the group. Euro 2006, Euro 2002, we get knocked out in the quarterfinals against Italy. World Cup 2010, we get absolutely hockeyed by Germany. Uh, we don't make Euro 2008. Euro 2004, again, a disaster. In, if Yes, look, England will win nine out of 10 games in their qualifying. They will probably win most of their game because when the hardest team in your qualifying group is Switzerland, you got a good chance. But in terms of proven when it counts, this is what we can do. England aren't very good. Uh, there's a fantastic book, Why England Lose, by the people that made Freakonomics, that says if you equate uh, a win to mean one point and a draw to mean half a point, from the post-war period, England, on average, win about half of their games. So you get that streak where you're like, okay, amazing, we've won 10 games in a row. Oh, it's the World Cup and we've lost two and drawn one. Like England are in pot two because England deserve to be in pot two. Um, and you can bring up friendlies, which, yes, it's a problem. English play less friendlies, but that's not going to be a thing because we've got Club Wembley. Um, and you can bring up the fact that England play far too many games against prestigious opposition. But that says a lot more about the fact that England should should have a better team to play these opposition. If your thing is, we shouldn't keep playing Germany because we're rubbish, your, your solution isn't to stop playing Germany in friendlies. Your solution is, how do we get as good as Germany? How do we get the coaches in place? Like England reaping what they're so and I can't wait to watch them in the World Cup next year. I know, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh. oh, it's going to be so painful. Hey, we already won one this year. We don't need another one next year. We've got that under 20 World Cup. I don't need the other World Cup. <laughs> exactly. We're still in the under 17s. Won a penalty shootout. But this is what's mad about it. It's like we are at youth level in spite of everything. In spite of the, you know, the academy system, in spite of the lack of playing fields in London, I mean, God knows how Croydon and Lewisham keep producing all these amazing footballers. As I was talking about with Carl earlier, like the the quality at youth level is unquestionably there. And like, but Adamola Lookman is the perfect example. He was best player at the under twenty World Cup. He might not have won the award, but he was. And he can't get a game at Everton, and he is so clearly just what Everton need, but. You know, no one in the Premier League backs English young players. Um, we're going to take a string of half-baked, um, you know, England internationals to the World Cup. They're all going to be either knackered or completely lacking in first-team football, uh, like Jack Wilshere. Um, and <laughs> Jack like, Wilshere's making the World Cup. I can't believe it. And then, <laughs> you know, we'll just fall apart again. Like the talent is there at youth level to be developed. I don't know how. I don't know how on earth you then get it into the England team and get the England team working. I'm going to whisper it. B teams in the Football League. Yeah, it's just Ugh. wrong. It's just, just wrong. Just putting it out there. <laughs> Not probably. He's, he's crawled away from the microphone there. He knows the obvious fight back that he's going to get from an Oxford United fan or something in a minute. Uh, yeah, well, you were saying about our youth being that good. We've had Jaden Sancho, who's been pulled out of the under-17 team to go back to Dortmund, haven't, haven't we? Because they want yeah, him to play yeah. in, I can't remember what it is. Is it They want him to play in the youth Champions League yep. stages. Get lost, Dortmund. Don't you be doing that. Jaden Sancho's awesome, and I want him to play for England. Yeah, but I mean, huge credit to players. I think almost our best hope is players like, and you've seen a lot of them this summer, Jaden Sancho, Chris Willock, Reese Oxford. They've all gone... Elsewhere, Nathan Chablo as well. Yeah, Loftus Cheek. All, all of them are going right. Sitting in a, a top clubs under twenty three team is doing nothing for me. Particularly the ones that are going to Europe. I, I just think that's really 
encouraging and that's our best hope. A huge credit to them as well because they're probably taking massive pay cuts. I know, I know that Chris Willock was offered um, a deal at Man City. Could have gone to Man City. Uh, I, I know that for a fact and he chose to go to Benfica which is, you know, I ha- I don't know the money but I suspect he wouldn't have earned, he's not earning anywhere near as, as much. If our players go and do that and then they come back with this continental education, it'd be so good for our team. I mean, we're still probably not going to win the World Cup, but, you know, we might make the quarterfinals and I'd take Tim Henman level achievements right oh. now. Do you, remember, do you remember the days of the quarterfinals? I remember when it was like, oh, we'll get to the quarterfinal quite and lose on penalties pump. again. Quite fist pump, my oh. friend. Those were the days. Those days of failure that wasn't quite as dramatic as our failure these days. Ah, all right then. On to the next section. Let's cheer up. Who's this fella? Who's this fella? All right then, lads. Talk to me about Malcolm. And I'm not talking about Frankie Muniz. I've no interest. I've no interest in sitcoms from 10 years ago. I want to know. stronger than that, mate. Do you reckon? Malcolm in the middle. It's longer than 10 years ago. Nearly 20. In terms of initial broadcast, it's longer than 10 years ago. All right, forget who's this fella. Malcolm (laughs) in the middle was 20 years ago. I reckon it You're premiered right. about 20 years ago. Frankie Muniz must be about 33. Yeah. That's Agent Cody Banks to you. Agent yeah, Cody Banks. That is. And Agent Cody Banks too. Oh, he man. played both of those characters so well. <laughs> uh, but this Malcolm we're talking about, apparently, I'm told, has five goals and four assists in nine league games. And he's Brazilian. So it's another one of these brilliant young Brazilians that are coming through. It looks like they might be sort of back to where they were maybe when I was growing up a little bit a little bit a little bit because you've got Gabriel Jesus as well who's the only player who has scored more than him uh, in Europe under 21 so how (laughs) how good is Malcolm going to be good like wow Uh, so he's just signed to Bordeaux he signed to Bordeaux uh, for relative peanuts he went for 5 million euros um, from Brazil and he yeah He's well good. He's uh, he's nominally a winger. He's nominally a winger, um, but you can play anywhere in the the attacking three in your four two three one. Um, so you can play left. You can play right. He will eventually get good and be good enough to play as your ten uh, in that sort of way that Eden Hazard can t- sort of play as a ten. Uh, he's very good taking shots from afar. Really, really backs himself, and he's got that little Robin esque. I'm going to cut inside and have a go. Um, I've been watching a lot of Liga on recently purely because I want to see Mbappe break people's ankles um, for PSG. But uh, Malcolm, I think the the best compliment I can give to Malcolm right now is uh, he should have been the player Dortmund bought to replace Usman Dembele because he's he's the sort of if you looked at Usman Dembele last year, I'm really, really he's like I'm strong, I'm quite tall, I'm pacey, I love taking it past players in in that style. Like Malcolm, Malcolm either should go to Dortmund soon or Dortmund are, gonna, are kicking themselves that they didn't buy him already. Uh, add him to your football manager teams, add him to your FIFA career mode. He's, he's, a, he's a decent lad. It's interesting how Brazil, I suppose a lot of countries do, but they're really going in these like cycles of now there are so many exciting like kind of winger come strikers. Like you've not just got Malcolm and Gabriel Jesus, like Richarlison absolutely destroyed Arsenal at the weekend. And obviously, like, these are kind of all, like, post-Neymar players. None of them are at, at that standard, but then, like, no one other than a couple of players in the world are. Um, but it, I really, like, prefer this version of Brazil to, like, 10 years ago when they were just making a string of, like, Cleberson, Gilberto Silva. 
Okay. Or, or more or less retired at 25 yeah. to go and drink beer. Huge wrecking ball midfielders are not Brazil to me. Players like Malcolm are like, they're Brazil. They're the Brazil <laughs> I was brought up on and they're the Brazil I want. Keep it going. So what's that front sort of, well, I mean, what's the attack of Brazil going to be for the next 10 years? It's going to be Neymar, Gabriel Jesus... And uh, Malcolm. Malcolm, you can do that. You can do that in a four-three-three with those three up front. So you have Neymar and Malcolm playing off Gabriel Jesus, which is frightening. Or you can, if you want to do a four-two-three-one, you have you know Gabriel Jesus as his tip of your spear, maybe Neymar is operating mm. as the ten, and then you have uh, Jesus, no Jesus, Gabriel Jesus as your tip of your spear. You've got Neymar as your ten. You've got Malcolm on the right, and then you can possibly have Coutinho on the left. And like mm. the Brazil looked really bad in qualifying up until they got Tite, Tite, uh, and then they went on a run. I think they won eight games in a row. I don't. I think the World Cup might be just too early for them to make them a top three favorite. But yeah, provide provide if they get a good run, they're they're a lock for the semi-finals. Maybe Brazil might be back. Brazil might be back. You, you look very skeptical when I well, said it, and well, then you say it, it's, and apparently it's fine. It's one of those things where do you know? Every now and again, a football nation just suddenly have a good team and they haven't planned it. They haven't planned it in the way that... Uh, so when Germany went, right, we, we had a rubbish year of 2000, let's start planning. So come 15 years from now, we've got a great generation of kids. And now we're seeing that now in, in World Cup 2014, in the Euros and whatnot. So they planned it. Um, France have planned it. They've got Claire Fontaine. They've got their centre of excellence. All right. Belgium didn't plan it. So come World Cup 2014, someone went, Vincent Company, why are all these good Belgian players come together? And he's like, oh, I don't know. It's just like a freak accident. Um, and I think that's happening to Brazil because Brazil went through a lot of trouble. Like Brazil sort of earmarked World Cup 2014 as the World Cup they were going to win it. And there were so many players that were meant to play in that World Cup that didn't make it. So like Pato should have played in that World Cup. Adriano should have been one of the elder statesmen. Uh, even guys like Joe and Alano should have been there or thereabouts and they just didn't disappear. So the, all the things after 2014 was, oh my God, we lost 7-1. Where's the next generation going to come? There needs to be a total t- root and branch reform of Brazilian football. We need to start thinking more like European. Oh wait, who are all these attacking players? This is amazing. Oh, we're fine. Oh, well, yeah, we'll make the semi-finals now. And that's what's happened. So I don't want to say Brazil are back because they haven't planned it. They've just got a good manager and suddenly someone discovered four great kids in the Barrios. Yeah. Also, I mean, you know, if we do talk about Brazil and the World Cup, they are not going to be over that 7-1. Like, that is going to... I mean, it's going to haunt them forever. Um, But this World Cup... You just know that they're going to draw Germany and you know it's going to be too much for them. (laughs) You know that's going to happen. Germany aren't looking so good. I'm going to just say that in this high-pitched voice. I'm not sure if it's going to come through in the podcast. Yeah, but they've been playing their... B team for Apologies. the, the last Apologies year, haven't they? For people listening to that on headphones, having yeah, to yeah, imagine if they put that voice. on one and a half speed. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, but um, like yeah, the seven one is an absolute disaster, and it will probably. I mean, that's going to go one of two ways. Either it's going to scar the Brazilian football nation, or it's going to create like a generation of Bruce Wayne's who are like, I have to avenge this. I have to avenge this defeat one day. Um, but yeah, stick them both in the group together, please, FIFA. I know you can do it. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Bend the rules. Bend the rules. <laughs> we know FIFA would never bend the rules, but just this time. <laughs> All right, then, let's move on to the final section Stat Showdown. Stat Showdown. Okay, then. 
here we are in a standoff. Two gunslingers of the statistical variety staring each other down. Me, just a, a humble witness and judge. Uh, so pretty much the most important person here, I'd say, more or less. <laughs> Carl, as a man who's done a stat showdown before, you're going second. Hey. James, it's best out of three. Impressed me with some stats because I'm an ordinary person. I'm not a statistician and I need some kind of ammunition when I go and tell friends, look how much I know about football. Give me a bite-sized stat. Your friends are going to love this one. <laughs> That's Sunday, the kind of intro that I need. Sunday, 12.30, you're sitting down, you put on Everton versus Arsenal. Everyone's going, oh, I don't fancy Arsenal for this one. They're a mess as per. Uh, and you say to them, right, friends, so-called friends, do you know Arsenal have beaten Everton more times than any other club has beaten any other club oh. in the history of the English Football League. 94 wins. They're only six away from 100 times beating Everton. So it's literally the most surefire win in English Football League history. Might not be the most surefire win. That has set a high bar, Carl, but you don't believe in just setting the bar. You are the bar. Raise it. <laughs> Uh, one good Arsenal fact deserves another. So, um, 12th day, you're going to sit down. You're going to see the lineup. Wenger's going to do a Wenger, so he's probably going to start per Mertesacker again. Right, here's the thing. Per Mertesacker's start against Watford was the very first time the Arsenal club captain started a league match against an opposition since the 22nd of November 2014. Oh. When Mikel Arteta started against Manchester United. Yeah. Arsenal oh, those club. are two great Arsenal stats. <laughs> I, I don't want to improve his stat, but um, I wrote a lengthy feature about Arsenal's captaincy. Uh, that's the first time in 109 Premier League games that Arsenal have named a club captain in their starting lineup. Yep. 110, actually. Leadership. Ooh. Bit of a problem. <laughs> okay. James has got beginner's luck. He's gone 1-0 up. He provided a little bit of extra. I mean, I don't agree with butting in on someone else's stat, but he did. He did, and I'm going to give him that 1-0 lead. Carl, come back. Come back at him, bro. All right. (laughs) Here's a new stat. Um, West Brom will be playing away to Southampton this weekend. Um, Southampton are notoriously flaky at scoring goals right now. So I'm going to give you a little scoring stat about West Brom. West Brom has scored 47 goals from set pieces since Tony Pulis took over. 47. Wow, that's a lot of goals. That's a lot of goals. That's, that's, Tony Pulis really loves penalty areas and like hurting them. All right then. Carl's put his Tony Pulis cap on for that stat. What have you got, James? Um, I'm going to North, North, North London for my stat. Uh, Liverpool, Tottenham this weekend. Well, Tottenham, Liverpool, in fact. Wembley Stadium, a very North London. A very, very North London. <laughs> and Wembley Stadium could become the 53rd different ground that Liverpool have won at in the Premier League era. And that's a Premier League record. Mm. It's good. It's a good stat, James. It's a lot of stadiums. Liverpool have been a good team for a long time, though. I'm thinking Tony Pulis's cap gets this one. Yes! Fresh Adidas trainers as well. Imagine saying no to Tony Pulis. Mr. Club Shop himself. (laughs) James, you get the first shot in the final round of this stat showdown. I'm going deep stats. Going dark stats. Deep stat diving. The dark web of stats. Um, 
I'm sure no one is quite as outraged about um, Leicester City sacking this manager as they were the last one. Um, but I think Craig Shakespeare might be a bit miffed when I point out that Leicester are one of only seven teams in the Premier League with a positive expected goals differential. And their XG for the season overall is plus 1.51, meaning they should theoretically, if they had decent strikers, have uh, a, a goal difference of plus one or plus two. Um, which is good. That's good. But I can beat that stat. Chelsea's XG for the season, minus 0.5. Ooh, Deep stats. It's good. Spicy. Stats. It's two stats. I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm objectioning here. But, uh, yeah. It's a good stat. But, Carl, it, that was very deep stats. Very I don't know. It's how you tell them. And I don't know if I can tell them like that because I've forgotten all the numbers involved already <laughs> so Carl I reckon there's an opening here I think he's left a, a nice fleshy part for you to aim your stat bullet at I'm going to get my stat bullet and also it's a nice little reminder there's a Friday kickoff this weekend so change your fantasy football team early if you listen to this change it early because on Friday Brighton go off and they play West Ham at the home of football at the home <laughs> of football and popcorn £9 popcorn the London Stadium uh, Brighton they're going to be relying on the main man Pascal Gross uh, who has been involved in 83% of their goals this season with two goals and three assists so fantasy football people change your team early and if you reckon Brighton are going to do it you want to get Pascal in your side see that felt like advice more than a stat but I can remember the numbers two and three. Whereas James, I can't remember any of the numbers you gave me. Oh, it's one of them, them oh, bloody well, football hipsters. <laughs> numbers. So Carl, you're the winner. Victory! And the best prize you could ever get from anything is being able to tell the people where they can find you on the internet first. They can find me at Anchorman616 via Twitter. I also have my own football podcast, which is called Talking Tactics. We go live every single Tuesday morning. So we're sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always football. Um, so check that out as well. And James, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at James Bench. Uh, they could briefly find me on Facebook, but I shut that down because I can't be doing with more than one social media page. <laughs> so just Twitter. I'm just on Twitter. <laughs> but if you, if you have one day to go on any Facebook profile ever, go on it before it's shut down. No one else is going to see it. It's going to be a relic soon. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. And you can find yourselves on Deezer or iTunes where you're listening now and all other podcast places. Share it, like it, review it, rate it, all the good stuff. And we'll see you next week on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers.